<laughs> welcome back, boys and ghouls, to Horrortober. Ghoul V Scream said, Ghoul Spectacular. We're, we're, we're filling all your ghoul needs this October. We're back to talk <laughs> two horror movies today, both made in the year 1964, both produced by American International Pictures, both uh, dealing with themes of the collapse of civilization, disease, and decadence, and both starring the great Vincent Price. And uh, <laughs> by, by way of introducing these movies, we are joined by our first guest on this mini horror season of Movie Mindset. I'd like to welcome from the podcast Nympho Wars, Theta. Theta, welcome to Movie Mindset. Hi, you guys. It's so great to be here and um, uh, to celebrate this, the spookiest of, the spookiest of months. It's the reason for the season. Uh, it's, it's, it's an honor and a privilege to, to have you for another. There were more ghouls in this one. There were ghouls in the last one we did, too. <laughs> um, before, we get, before we dive into these movies, I just wanted to ask uh, Theta, what, what, do, what, does, what do horror movies and uh, specifically Vincent Price uh, mean to you? Like uh, on, the, on the last episode, we talked sort of about like, uh, what horror movies mean to to Hesse and I? Like, for instance, I like horror movies because they sort of uh, provide a vehicle for the return of the repressed and like sort of a channeling of a lot of our culture's deep fears and fantasies about you know yeah. uh, sex and death and things like that. And Hesse likes horror movies because they're spooky. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I it, it's it's a I'm an odd choice I think for this episode because I have such I have so little general interest in horror movies and I have no almost, I had no almost no exposure to Vincent Price before this, but I was uh, actually just thrilled to be prompted to watch both of them. I found them both really really. Great. And I'm going to probably just take a back seat while you guys discuss this and maybe chime in because I was, uh, in general, I like have a, a milk toast distaste for, for unpleasantness and for the guaranteed um, bad outcomes that you get in horror movies. It's always so annoying when you know that first the car will break down and then one by one everyone will die. It's like... Um, so certain that I've recoiled from it, but I'm learning to I'm learning to undo that a little bit because of the thrill of actually just like gaudiness and and the possibilities of of just these cheaper spectacles. Not cheap in like any sense, but monetary. Like that, the horror movies seem to. Uh, allow you to actually be imaginative in a way that all this all the more tasteful movies just actually don't that you're being well, the last man on earth uh was probably made for about the, the adjusted for inflation the equivalent of like 500 american dollars uh <laughs> the, the, the mask of the red death though i mean the the set design and i mean the costumes uh i, I watched this with chris the other night and i i think in the mask of the red death they, they spent all of the money on the amazing sets in that movie and then just <laughs> robbed like a shakespeare company for all of the costumes yes <laughs> beautiful bolt block colors <laughs> beautiful See, just Theta, I knew you didn't like horror movies, but I, I asked you on for this episode specifically because I knew you would really vibe with The Mask of the Red Death. <laughs> I kind of felt that you would enjoy the the gaudiness and the, you know... the All the gaudy the, satanic decadence. 
Yeah, I was the so gay, yeah. the campiness of it. No, it was so comforting. It was. <laughs> yes. I was telling Hessa that there is. I feel like David Lynch has like cites Rear Window as a good as like one of his favorite movies. And when asked why, he goes, "Oh, it's just so cozy. <laughs> that apartment so is cozy. just so cozy." And uh, <laughs> um, and I did weirdly feel that with Mask of the Red Death. I was like, "This is a cozy movie. This is a yeah. cool castle. These are." Fun yeah. people. <laughs> like, I, li- I like this. And now, now we've we've mentioned uh, gaudiness and uh, camp, and I don't, I don't think we're using any of those words uh, as a ding. But, but when it comes to gaudy and camp, uh, Vincent Price really is the, uh, the he, he is on the Mount Rushmore of gaudiness and camp because he is a master of both of them. So, what is it about? Like you know, Vincent Price was the king of horror movies. I mean, he's been in like over a hundred movies, even more TV shows. But what is it he's about the Vincent voice Price? At the beginning of the the, the voice at the beginning of the thriller music video. <laughs> yeah, um, he's um, well, yeah, he's just so like so extra. I think it's part of it. He's so extra, and he's just like so, you know, um, just has this gravitas to him. He's like tall and like has this very unique look and this like crazy mustache and like he's just like a cool old gay guy (laughs) (laughs) spooky as hell and like yeah he he brings like a charisma to everything he does that like you know whether he's chewing the scenery or like um you know because he's like also is like a very very good actor i think like genuinely and i think like he brings like um a theatrical a theatricality to yes. everything it's yeah. like the, the way the, the, it's just the way he like enunciates every word and it's so odd because yes. it's just like he doesn't look like the kind of guy who would be either a leading man or like an icon of horror movies yeah like, like he said he's like he seems like uh, your friend's weird gay dad that everyone knows is gay <laughs> but like yeah. yeah but he's just like i please come over for dinner <laughs> yes yeah, he's weird to look at and weird to listen to. Call your to. mother. You can stay over if you want. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I've made Coco Vaughn. <laughs> uh, Vincent, the real-life Vincent Press, also a gourmet chef as well. He was a man of many varied talents. But uh, starring in horror movies has got to be uh, at the top of that list. We switch you to the state capitol, where His Excellency, the governor, is speaking from the executive mansion. Further, I have, in conjunction with the federal government, declared this state to be a disaster area. I was sent to keep you here until they come. To kill me. Vampires alive among the lifeless that make the night hideous with their inhuman cravings. If they are not destroyed in the flaming pits of hellfire or stick to the ground in the light of the sun, will the unbelievable become real? A world of inanimate zombies by day, irresistible, horrifying attackers by night. Can a zombie woman's hunger for love repopulate the earth? Love me. Love me. 
I guess um, just as a way to introduce uh, the first movie we're going to talk about today, uh, The Last Man on Earth, uh, directed by Ubaldo Ragona and Sidney Sacklow, released in 1964 by American International Pictures. Uh, Incredible pair of names right there. Yeah. <laughs> Ubaldo and Sacklow. <laughs> these are your people, Hessa. Yes, are. these are my... <laughs> I will introduce the last man on earth thusly. Theta, Hessa, <laughs> I'm going to kill you. <laughs> Theta, Hessa, Hessa. <laughs> um, uh, the last man on earth is uh, based on a short story by the great author Richard Matheson. It would uh, later go on to be remade a number of times, including uh, The Omega Man, starring Charlton Heston, and I Am Legend, starring Uh Will Smith. But this was the original adaptation of the Richard Matheson short story, I Am Legend, which was like the the first, like, uh, American, like, sci-fi and horror author that decided to... um, decided to do a vampire narrative like outside of a gothic setting and sort of bring vampirism into a like modern medical scientific context because in the last man on earth the world has been uh, destroyed by a vampire plague that either kills people or turns them into uh, night stalking ghouls who basically not not zombies because they still have a command of a few words like hessa <laughs> yeah. I'm going to kill you. <laughs> and and what I love about this is most of this movie is just Vincent Price. It's like either yeah. a dubbed voiceover or him just walking around a house being like this house used to this house used to fill me with joy. Now it's just filled with nothing but death. Drinking <laughs> coffee used to excite me. Now it's just now it's just uh, you know, uh, now it's just slop for a me. Tool to, to survive. <laughs> yeah, now it is just a tool <laughs> to get through the day. Um, but yeah, like e- extremely low budget, filmed in Rome. Um, and wh- what I love about the beginning of this movie is that it is just, uh, it's just, yeah, filmed in Rome and then just extras lying on the street. It's just bodies littered <laughs> everywhere. <laughs> it's, and it's a really effective and frightening, like, images yeah. of, like, b- just dead bodies, like, littering a, a giant staircase. Yeah. And, like, I. I love how obviously it's filmed in Rome too. It's like Rome yeah, as right. LA kind of. Yeah. And it's just like, you know, it's panning down a street that's like, oh, I guess this could be LA. And it's like every single door has a window shaped like a cross on it. <laughs> it's like, oh, okay, maybe, maybe this isn't Los Angeles. <laughs> well, yeah, it's like a three, it's like a three part uncanny thing where the, where it's empty. It's, mm-hmm. um, European, it's has a <laughs> European grandeur, and they you say it's LA, so yeah. you're immediately like you immediately leave reality in a way that is very again, it's like very bewitching. It's yeah, it, and it, and like you said, it's, pro- it's probably so cheap, it's just like okay, clear everybody away for 30 minutes. Get two Italian uh, <laughs> like people to lie down on the uh, steps, and then Vincent Price walks by, and you're like, "Wow, I've never seen anything like this." This was just lunch. Yeah. In they were just filling people yeah. who are, you know, not going to work. Having yeah. a siesta, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> whatever. At two p.m. in Italy, every single person falls to the ground, completely limp for an hour, <laughs> <laughs> and they just all they had to do was. <laughs> they just had to point a camera at it. Ciao, Bella. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, 
And yeah, they they there's something about um like you said very effective. There's something about seeing cities like denuded of people that's very disturbing. And like it's yes. it's done to great effect in this movie. It's like a like you said like a very simple but effective and unnerving like kind of uh, not even special effect, just like an image to be shown. Uh one one more thing I want to say is uh, I just brought this up because I just watched this movie again uh, pretty recently, but I did not know until I rewatched it that Steven Spielberg's first movie, Duel, the screenplay for that was written by Richard Matheson, who wrote I Am Legend and a number of like other famous sci-fi stories. But Hessa, I was thinking about, like, have you seen Duel recently? I haven't. I don't think I've ever seen Duel, actually. Okay, watch Duel in conjunction with The Fablemans, Spielberg's first and most recent movie. And it is so funny how similar they are. Like, it is the same movie. One is a car One is a car chase movie. One is a deeply personal family story. But they're both about basically him wish-casting his cucked father to stand up for himself. (laughs) So, so it goes so deep. I love Fablemans. I love his the insane sexual mom. <laughs> yeah, there was a, a, a definitely a sexual style mom in that movie. Yeah. It is. This is sidebar, but Fablemans. I did think that Fablemans was a great example in a in like in the trauma plot environment. It was to 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 have such a really, really minor traumatic incident shape your entire life. <laughs> yeah, my parents lives. got divorced when I was 19. <laughs> yeah. it, it's, it's really amazing, and it, and it changed America. It, it changed yeah. the whole American yes. movie landscape. Yes. This, the shallowest of traumas and just the tiniest expression of sexuality from yeah. his mom. Um, it was wild. So... Uh, in, in the last minute, like I said, the movie begins and we see these like um, little like uh, 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 street scenes of like a totally abandoned city full of dead people. And we see like uh, a church sign that says the end has come. And I like to imagine it's just Ethan Hawke's church from First Reformed. And like, he, yeah, he put up that sign like weeks before the apocalypse. It had nothing happened. to do with it. had nothing yeah, to do with it. Yeah. <laughs> And then it predated the virus. You know, like it's sort of uh, like, you know, we, we, we see these street scenes and it sort of follows into a residential neighborhood. Camera zooms in on a window. And there's there's our guy, Vincent Price, asleep. His alarm goes off. And then it's just like a day in the life of the last man on Earth. And his voiceover is just like, there's the alarm. Another day to live. Better get started. <laughs> and then. But what I, what I love about this movie is that like it's it's particular conception of the apocalypse here this is the last man on earth he's like okay alarm goes off time to clock in at the factory and yeah <laughs> i I, lo- I love this idea that like the world is over but he's still basically going through the motions of like having a job like yeah the, the work never ends and it's just like every day is this grim procession of like uh you know uh uh Honing Gotta down uh, like uh, table legs <laughs> yeah. into steaks, um, uh, going going fresh shopping, garlic. fresh garlic Need to get yeah. a new mirror. <laughs> so yeah, like it's he is so cool. I love uh, and the I love that the beginning is like this process movie of like yeah. oh here's the, the whole what first the process half of it. Is yeah. Like, uh, yeah. And, yeah, and there's no threat. This is my complaint about horror movies is totally <laughs> resolved by this movie. Because <laughs> yes. even the uh, the vampires that come out at night are pretty weak. They do it every night in the same way. <laughs> yeah. It's as routine as anything. Yeah. And, he, he, and they're totally washed. Like when he is yeah. in the tomb of his wife and wakes <laughs> yeah. up and it's like midnight. And he's like, oh, no, they, they'll be coming for me. 
And there's like two outside, and he just pushes them over and gets in the car and drives home <laughs> with a limp wrist. Yes, yeah. Oh, Theta has a. Speaking of you limp wrists, how hard were you laughing at the end of the movie where he's throwing smoke grenades at them and he just like throws it over the top of his shoulder and they land right at his feet? He's like, that's so funny. <laughs> <laughs> he just he gets like a foot behind him. Yeah. He's sprinkling <laughs> rice behind him yeah. at a wedding. <laughs> uh, so yeah, uh, uh, Vincent Price plays Robert Neville. Uh, Robert, uh, no, Robert Morgan. Robert Neville was the name of the character in the Matheson short story. But yeah, like we just see a day in the life of, and like all the, it's just all of the. You're doing all of the same mind-numbingly boring errands you were doing back when, <laughs> back when everyone was alive. Yeah. But he's just like have to go top up the car with gas, and then like essentially like his predicament. <laughs> is that he's still living in the same house in Los Angeles slash uh, Rome that he was when the plague wiped out humanity. But now he is beset. He's sort of besieged every night by his like former neighbors and colleagues who just in like the weakest form of ghoulery ever put on film. And like, (laughs) so we we just did Night of the Living Dead and we were talking about how the zombies in that movie, because they're sort of like shambling, slow moving cadavers, you'd be like, yeah, "Yeah, I I feel pretty confident I could survive like a zombie holocaust. Like, yeah. Oh, this one I would be king this of one, the world. Game's easy. <laughs> game's easy. <laughs> I'd be going into the Coliseum and putting on like different outfits, trying different methods to like d- kill the ghouls. <laughs> like, it's pure and, fun. So like, yeah. yeah, he he goes through his day and like essentially like they are. It's like they're they're referred to as vampires and they follow like a lot of the same rules as vampires in that they're allergic to garlic. They don't like seeing their reflection in a mirror. And yeah. to kill them, you have to stake them through the heart. And basically, all of, uh, all of Vincent Price's day is just preparing for when the sun goes down. And like a gang of the most uh, annoying vampires in the world just essentially <laughs> lightly bang on his windows going, Morgan, Morgan, I know you're there, Morgan, yeah. come out. Yeah. We want to kill you. But like they don't have the motor skills to like open a doorknob or like yes. crawl through the windows they break by just hitting it with two by fours. <laughs> And like it's it's really funny because the first time they're like banging on the door and it's like Vincent Price is literally just like uh, and like slumps <laughs> down on his couch and like <laughs> with like a drink or something and you're yeah. like shouldn't he be worried and then it's like oh no it's fine <laughs> it's, yeah, it's uh, totally fine and yes. like he's just uh, I I love his like depressed voiceover and like we're like we, we were making fun of earlier but like my favorite line in this movie where he's like he fixes himself breakfast and then his voiceover says there was a time when eating was pleasurable now it bores me just fuel <laughs> for survival <laughs> It's it's like I like I've I've read before. I mean, I forget who said it, but like the scariest part about like apocalyptic narratives is not that the world ends; it's that it actually goes on. Yeah, and that like that's yeah. the fear in apocalyptic movies is that like you'll be around, like you know, it may seem like oh how lucky am I? I just happened to be born in the time of history when the apocalypse happened. It's me, the protagonist <laughs> of history, yet again. Yes. But in this movie, I think it really underscores that the most horrifying thing about the end of the world is that it doesn't really end and you're still fucking shopping and, uh, <laughs> you know, do, picking up garbage and tossing bodies into a burning pit. It's just like, got time to make the donuts. Got to keep working. Yeah. <laughs> you're so right. Yeah, it really is crazy because he's also like, you know, part of his daily task is like, you know, oh, time to grab all my my bag of steaks that I have, wooden steaks, and go out and like 
every just kill a bunch of sleeping Italians that I see on the sidewalk <laughs> and throw their bodies into the big burning pit. And um, it's like this, you know, never ending task of like, oh, time to kill all like a hundred million people <laughs> in the world around me. And like, hopefully it's hopefully I'll get it done someday. It's like a total, you know, fighting against the tide of like, he's never going to be able to get this done. And it like barely helps because they still bang on his door every night. It's very Yeah. The, the vampires in this movie, I would say are not so much scary as annoying, you know? Yeah. (laughs) It's just like, if I could get the vampire situation in my neighborhood to the point where they aren't just banging (laughs) on my door every night going, Will, Will, (laughs) I'd be all right. It would be, it would be fine. But no, like he's out shopping every day. And like his, I love his voiceover in this movie. He's like, Hmm. Cars out of gas. One more stop I'll have to make. And I swear to God, he has the he has the same internal monologue that I do when I'm just going shopping on a normal day, uh, yes, pre apocalypse. He he really. That's maybe the the thing that is so also weirdly so comforting about it is that he is not. He doesn't even seem that appalled. No. By the prospect of doing this every day forever, except for like in a few minor moments. But generally, he feels pretty uh, resigned to it. Pretty, le- <laughs> he feels just yeah. pretty like well, yeah. I, I think it's because like, and this is like I, I think like one of the earlier like apocalyptic narratives as we understand them today, with like a city full of dead people and like you know, yeah. uh, like streets just littered with bodies, but. I think I think like like this sort of post-apocalyptic subject, the last man on Earth. I think the movie kind of underscores that we're already like lost our humanity, you know, like yeah. go, going to work every day, or just sort of like that's why it's easy for him, and that he's not appalled by the daily body cleanup in his neighborhood. Yeah. Yeah, um, because it just it feels I mean, like he's, I guess, a little bit lonelier now, but it just feels so similar to what things were like before everyone was dead or a vampire. And as long as you're talking about it, like, I, I want to talk about my favorite scene in the movie, which is like after spending a day of just robotically and methodically killing more and more people like of his former neighbors, crossing them off the list, staking them in the heart, tossing their bodies in a burn pit. And then it's like, OK, it's five o'clock time to knock off. And then he just watches home movies of his dead wife and daughter. <laughs> and this is really the Vincent Price acting yes. uh the, this is the vincent prices this is what he brings to the table is a certain yeah. kind of male hysteria and has so we talked about the end of oh, texas chainsaw sad. massacre where sally's uh shrieking in the back of that uh pickup truck as she drives that they as they drive away from leatherface turns into a maniacal kind of laughter and that yeah. is all all praise and credit due to the great one vincent price for really pioneering <laughs> how much you can turn laughter into a total break emotional breakdown a whale a wailing yeah. sob yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh god absolutely it's yeah. so good uh and then he's like yeah 12 hours to kill until the sun rises uh yeah time time, time to play some jazz records and relax while the while the ghouls <laughs> amass outside my door <laughs> He seems to sleep well. He's come seems, out. You know, <laughs> they say they they just say in a low velvety voice, you yeah. know, Morgan, Morgan. He yeah. dozes off on the couch. He wakes up. He seems pretty well rested. It's it's kind of 
it's like an experimental music album being performed for him <laughs> at, outside his door. Morgan. Morgan. And then banging noises. Number yeah. nine. Number <laughs> yeah. nine, Morgan. Number nine. I could imagine. I could imagine dozing off on those conditions. Yeah. Yeah. Like a low chant directly addressed to you. And like uh, they keep saying, uh, Morgan, come out. Morgan, come out. Maybe they just want to hang out with him. And then by the end of the movie, it does very much become about... What if he just tried to befriend the ghouls? Maybe they, like, maybe they weren't trying to kill him. That's maybe they were lonely too. It's so like it's so funny. It's like there's a really um, famous uh, like review of the video game Doom from the '90s. From like I forgot where, but like they this like publication gave it a really bad score and was like, "Why do you have to kill the monsters? Why can't you try and be friends with them or talk to them?" <laughs> Maybe they, maybe you could connect with them. Maybe you have something in common with them. And it's very much like that's the actual twist of this movie. It's yeah. him being like, because yeah. then it becomes like, you never asked. <laughs> yeah. You never asked if I was okay or not. <laughs> you just drove a stake through my heart. Well, I mean, Morgan. Morgan. <laughs> I mean, not to disrespect the, that uh, particular review of the video game Doom. But it is pretty clear that everything, uh, clear that everything you're killing in the video game Doom is literally a demon from the pit of hell. Whereas yes, this movie, exactly. it's more it's right because hearts. they are just basically long COVID sufferers, and he's just killing <laughs> yes, them like flies. Yes. Like they have long yes. COVID. And but in in his defense, they they do say when he gets home. I do remember specifically one of them saying, "There's Morgan, kill him." Yeah, <laughs> yeah. kill him. <laughs> But uh, like, then, so can this? Can somebody clarify this for me? So he, because like, because at the end that he is there, they are like he's. They're like we think you're the monster or whatever. Sorry to skip ahead, but like, what does he do? There, there is a bunch of undead, and then there's mm -hmm. a bunch of dead. So the, some people get the virus and they just die, like his family, or right, mm -hmm. or and then those people come back to life unless they're burned. They're thrown into well, this big. Pit. Unless they're yeah, stamped and, and burned, I think they come back. The reason then, that, yeah, the reason his family didn't come back, I think, is that they get thrown into the garbage in the, truck from the movie Rabbit and then yeah. <laughs> carted off to the and just rolled down a hill that is always on fire. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yes, exactly. And then what he does in the day is he finds a bunch of people that are just lying on the street, and then he stakes them while they're out. Yeah, because like, so, yeah. like they sleep during the day or they can't go out during the day. And like, you Got know, maybe it. some of the bodies are just people who have been killed in other ways. So they're not really going to maybe resurrect. And they're, they can, they're, they're free to just be corpses on the street in, in the no, normal style corpses littering. Uh, yeah, the normal, normal, normal yeah. corpses. Normal, no big yeah. deal. <laughs> they're just napping, napping. Yeah. Um, so he's tracking them down. He's tracking them down. Yeah, he's like crossing dwelling. off. Like he has like a map of his neighborhood and he's like clearing it out uh, as best he can. That's what like, he's doing. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I'm so stupid. I'm so fucking dumb. <laughs> <laughs> he's like sort of a neighborhood watch, except there's no neighborhood left. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he's just uh, killing everyone. Okay. Uh, just like, uh, has a theta like do you ever like when you're on the subway or just walking around New York City every day do you ever like fantasize to yourself like what if uh, these 8 million people were just dead like wouldn't that make things easier <laughs> like you were just like like i don't know like as a kid or even presently like, you ever have this fantasy of being like the last person on earth oh yeah i've thought about it as a as a kid and such and been like wow it would be so cool i could like 
I could go to the mall and like walk around. <laughs> I have <laughs> anything a, I want. <laughs> I have a, the, I have a, I have a, I have a froze, I have a frozen world fantasy. There was like everything freezes and you go and get a bunch of free candy or something. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but I'm too. I'm again. I'm too milk toast to imagine everybody being wiped out. But it, there was something like that. I think during the early lockdown period, where like. You go, oh, get a look at those buildings. Get a look at these big empty cavities of, of space all over the all over the city. And and uh, uh, and there is some of that. There is some sort of sort of sexy. It's like a big it's like how in uh JG Ballard there's like always yes. these big empty swimming pools or abandoned shopping malls, like and it's like, oh, there are these. It would be fun to just explore these without somebody coming along to get you in trouble or or interrupt. Yeah. Or like yeah, you know, like the uh, the like the, the these, you know, like uh, like the the concrete cityscapes of like urban landscapes and these kind of the steel and glass of like luxury condominiums and high rises contrasted with like the stink and depravity of human beings. Yes, <laughs> yes. yes. Rid of them just a little bit. Uh, exactly. I would say that uh, both both of these movies, The Last Man on Earth and uh, The Mask of the Red Death, um, they do be hitting different, as the kids say, uh, certainly post-COVID. Uh, both of these movies are very, very much uh, of the moment. They seem very timely in, their, in very many respects. Very COVID films. Yeah. So Yes. Uh, so I, I love the scene where like, like uh, he, has his, he has his total meltdown watching his old home movies, but like... Uh, basically, like it, he wakes up again, and he's just like he decides to take the day off, and he's like, "No, I'm not clocking into the body burning factory today. I'm gonna yeah. visit my wife's coffin." <laughs> yeah, yeah, and then he just Verge. goes to like a, a mausoleum and basically falls asleep next to his uh, wife's coffin, and um, before yeah, before realizing he oversleeps, and then he has to like run home and like. Very, uh, very weakly pushes uh, the the Morgan guy out of like away from his yes. door, and he's like, "Okay, that was scary. I almost died." Yeah. It's really extraordinary. I mean, how just how easily he gets home. And this, well, he, is, this is what I realized. This was I was like, I like this. This is like I, what I what I actually don't like in these horror movies is actually when things are frightening. I thought that like, actually, but like I love. The, okay, basically there's a premise. There's some spooky people. You have to get home. It's nightfall. Love it. And then you go like on a very easy level of a video game or something, <laughs> yes. and you gingerly push them aside and go, hoo, 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 and then and then shut yourself inside, and you have a and then you have access to all the fun, uh, you know, side activities in the video game, like putting on a jazz record or <laughs> yeah, using the, the lathe. Yeah. Theta only likes the uh, the tutorial levels of video games. I, I do. I do. I do. I don't like this. Uh, I, like, I don't like this agita. Um, and even, well, he even tells the girl at the end, like, she's like, how, like, how are you surviving so well? And he's like, it's so easy. <laughs> they, they suck. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that is what you realize he maybe is the it's that his 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 immunity to the virus might also it's like feels like in terms of its characterization it's related to his ability to just get a, get by in this yeah. horrible world like that Absolutely. is his immunity he's like i find i find this incredibly easy it's just <laughs> what is your problem like why are you freaking out <laughs> yes um, literally um, so yeah, the, 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 like the middle section of the movie is a flashback, like pre-apocalypse, yes. which is sort of introduced 
by um, his home movies and his uh, laughter slash crying meltdown. But like we see that like the the, the Morgan guy is his uh, coworker from the lab that he works in, and then we see like I, I I love like it goes from the home movie to like him filming the home movie like three years ago, and I love like his wife is like the perfect like 1960s housewife, and when she knows the cameras on her, she goes, "Oh no, my hair, my makeup," and she has like this perfectly <laughs> quaffed do and like pearls on and everything she's like oh i'm so i'm not ready for the camera <laughs> and, she's just, yeah she's perfect she looks like jackie onassis yeah yes. i'm sure it's she's that sounds that looks to me like an italian woman is am i wrong because that's just an italian oh yeah woman they're all dubbed. they're all i mean and his friend is one of the most italian looking men i've ever seen <laughs> it's like literally <laughs> this incredible shock of blonde hair that is just like looks like a lego piece almost <laughs> and how perfect it is and he has the thick glasses and like perfect uh you know italian suit it's just like so so clearly an italian man <laughs> it's like hello there morgan good to see you again <laughs> Um, and uh, yeah, his his coworker, who in the present day is a vampire, it's like they're they're celebrating his daughter's like third or fourth, you know, his daughter's birthday party, but his colleague from the disease laboratory comes to basically like, hey, have you heard these reports about the uh, the Wuhan virology lab? <laughs> but yeah, uh, VP is uh, is not trying to hear yeah. it, and I like that they refer to it as that, like that, as Europe's disease, and it's just like, yeah, the European disease is not just syphilis anymore; it's vampirism. <laughs> yes. That that is that tracks. That tracks. Yeah. Was, I remember, yes. I remember like somebody being like, "Well, it's not like we're in Wuhan." I was, I remember early COVID, like trying to cancel a, uh, cancel a, a travel gig, because I was, because you were like, well, "You're the guy that was like reading the paper, and being like, uh oh." And so he's like, "Well, we're not in Europe. We're not in Italy. <laughs> yeah, yeah it's not, we can't just go around canceling gigs." It's like, oh, yeah, okay. that, that tracks. That yeah. And, you know, like uh, Vincent Price is like, gets all the, these warnings about, you know, oh, hey, the dead are coming back to life. And he's like, I'm a scientist, poppycock. not an alarmist. <laughs> and he goes, oh, Absolute right now. Poppycock. <laughs> yeah. And then he's like, you know, right now, our, pro you know, our, 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 our problem is we need to cut this birthday cake. And then it just jumps ahead in time. And his like daughter is under like a sick tent being like, I can't is see you, blind. daddy. I can't, I can't see, see you. See. <laughs> yeah. That part is really yeah. upsetting, yeah, actually. Yeah, it, is. it was really. I was like, wow, this is pretty heavy to be put in this, like, old movie. <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> the so blind it's like, yeah. daughter. It's staged as a sad thing and not a scary thing, too. Sorry yeah. to keep harping on this, but it's just like, she's she doesn't go, like, exorcist and start being like, ah! She's under a mosquito net going, what, Mom, <laughs> where are you? I can't see anything. She's just a normal kid. Uh, being sort of sad, you know, that is yeah. very affecting. Absolutely. And, you know, uh, we begin to, like, you know, similar to Night of the Living Dead, we get, like, media reports about, like, instructing you to burn the bodies of these victims, and then these, like, uh, sort of garbage collection crews that are just going around, like, taking people out of their house and throwing them in the burn pit. Um, yeah, and it's just, like, in the flashback, it's, like, Vincent Price, the rationalist, the scientist, like, begins to lose his... Uh, sense of rationality and sense of like, hey, like, hey, like we've dealt with pandemics before, like you know, we'll we'll solve this one, okay? And then yeah. it just get it gets worse. Bird flu and worse didn't and kill worse. anyone. <laughs> yeah, 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 we survived bird flu, swine and flu I, came and went. I, 
I do love that his like his rationalism is like the last of it to go is kind of him with his daughter when his wife is like, oh, we, I mean, like, we need to call a doctor. We have to call a doctor. And he's like, they're just going to throw her in the burn pit if we call a doctor. Yeah. <laughs> and that's what ends up happening. And, it's like truly. And like as his wife and daughter are dying, I mean, this is sort of like a, a, a prophecy of things to come. What does he do? He goes to work. He goes to yeah. work and there's like one other guy in the virus lab being like, <laughs> yes. you're here? What the fuck? Like, you know, the world's <laughs> over. And then he's yes. like, you know, he's still holding on to this idea. He's like, uh, you know, like, there's, I, I don't deny, he says, I don't deny that there's some strange evolutionary process going on, but mankind will not be destroyed. It will go on somehow. And the thing is, he was right. It does continue, but perhaps not in the yes. form he was originally thinking of. So yeah. he basically, he, he, he misses the death of his wife and daughter because he goes to work like a fucking asshole. <laughs> and, he and comes then, home and they're and dragging his daughter he comes out. Home to, yeah, he comes home yeah. right in time to see the, the truck take them to the burn pit. And then it's like, I recently just watched uh, Wayne's World 2 where like he's just like, but, hey, my girlfriend's in there. And the bouncer's like, buddy, there's a lot of guys' girlfriends in there. And this, he's like, no, my daughter's in there. And, he, and the guy literally says, buddy, there's a lot of daughters in there. It's like bur being burned in a giant pyre. Yeah. He's like, my daughter's in there, too. Yeah, yeah, my daughter's like, my daughter. <laughs> And he says it, now, maybe it's it's also effective, the dubbing or whatever, but he says it in a really casual way. Like, a really, <laughs> yeah, it's like yeah. very striking. He's like, he's like, this is my daughter right here. And then you don't see me crying. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> this is my son. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He, and he, it is, he, he's just like, oh, I guess it's, I guess he, I mean, there is a nice thing where the set piece leads the way and not like a plausible scenario. It's like he, cause he just chases a truck, I guess, to the thing. And then the, they're, they're, they got a bag in hand. He's like, that's my yes. daughter. You go, that's just a bag. <laughs> you need that scene to happen. Yeah. Oh, wait, it's, yeah. it's just his daughter that, that that's taken to the burn pit. And then he goes back home and his wife has like gone blind. So she's next, yes. and he vows not to have her burned. Like, he vows to, like, retain, like, hope for some dignity in death, yeah. and he takes her to the countryside and buries her. Bad move. She comes back to life, <laughs> emerges from the grave, and assaults him in his home. And I thought, the, actually, the scene where he opens up the door and his undead wife is just staring at him was actually very scary. And he yeah. just yeah. sort of, like, comes in, like, and it focuses on her eyes. Yeah. I thought she that looks was all really jacked up. Yeah. She's looking right at the lens. Yeah, a fun contrast from the first scene where she's like, oh, my hair and makeup is all messed up. Yeah. And then, and she looks perfect. And then in this one, she just appears at the door with her hair completely like <laughs> jacked up and her face yeah. covered in dirt. Just like, uh. She's just having a no makeup. She, she showed up and she did a no makeup makeup. Yeah. <laughs> and, it's, uh, and it's horrifying. So at that point, uh, the flashback ends and we're back in the present day and like, you know, the ghouls are outside. And then I also love, I also love in this movie, like when it's morning time, like Vincent Price, he goes to sleep every night in like a full suit. He like, he wakes full up and suit. he's still wearing like a tweed jacket, buttoned up, yeah. like sweater over it, like tucked in, you know, and he's just, ugh, that like, was yeah. just the style of the times. You have to no. understand. <laughs> a, man, a man would go to sleep in his then. leisure wear. <laughs> yes. he's, he must wake up exactly as he went down ready yes. for work <laughs> and and like yes yeah uh like uh, the shoes. ghouls uh I, I love i love where the ghouls just trash his car 
Like they can't get in the house, so they just yeah. break all. They break all the windows in his car and like you know uh, stab the tires or whatever. And then he gets up and we get another uh, great uh, sort of like his bored voiceover where he's just like, his wits must be slipping if he think breaking my car. I'll just go get a new one. Then he goes shopping for a car and he goes, this convertible would be nice, but I can't think of comfort. There was a time when I would shop for cars. Now I'm shopping for a hearse. This station wagon will have to do. (laughs) (laughs) That that line to me was the standout line in the whole movie. That is like a great, great line. So well delivered. You know, because like the voiceovers. Hearses basically are just station wagons. Yeah. I mean, well, it's like. That's that's, true as well. I I love that um, he, the voiceover is, it really is giving like, um. PSA, like 60s PSA, like, watch out, Billy. <laughs> Don't dive in the shallow end of the pool. <laughs> you could harm yourself. Make sure you go to the deep end, but don't run there. <laughs> there was a time... Well- there was a time when I would have stopped for railroad crossings. Now I don't care. There are no more trains <laughs> to kill me. <laughs> exactly like that. Yeah. I, I, I really didn't... I, I, I would... His voice really is extraordinary. It's a very extraordinary thing that that voice imprinted somehow on this, like his zeitgeist because it's so gay. It's yeah. such a gay voice. <laughs> yes. And he wasn't like a big out and about gay, but he was gay, right? Like at the end of his life, yeah. he was like, you know, yeah, tell I, you what, I was a little bit gay. Like, yeah, he was He was bisexual, I think is how he described it. Well, he sounded full gay. He has a daughter. He does have a daughter, but... Um, very, very nasal, very, yes. very high, very high. Yes. You know, I guess that is spooky. I would have very yeah, spooky, but... very ghoulish. <laughs> <laughs> and you know, like he was, uh, he was born in shit. Like I think Ohio. Fuck, let me look this up. Just a small. He's just a small town boy. Oh, he was born in St. Louis, Missouri. Uh... And I think there's like it's it's like yeah his 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 gay voice and his uh i don't know how should i describe this uh mincing acting style but can <laughs> yeah. i say that can i say that uh, yes. no but but also like uh the, you think you're right there's something european and theatrical about his delivery which doesn't ma- it makes him seem yes. like not he's very american but not american and i think that kind of uncanny valley is what makes him such a good horror movie star especially yes. in the mask of the red death and the as we'll be talking about the Roger Corman Edgar Allan Poe adaptations because he seems like of a different time but also yes. relatable in a way yes he yes, has great yes. legs for tights too he has great legs for <laughs> tights oh. and baggy shorts <laughs> um so uh in on like uh, his new day like basically in the third act of the movie he discovers that he is not alone uh first he finds a dog yes. and then a woman uh, but they're both dead. <laughs> and like, that's yes. the saddest part of the movie is when he finds this like lost abandoned dog and he's like, come back, yeah. come back. I'll go anywhere to find this dog. And then like the yeah. dog comes like right outside his door and he gives it a bath and he's like, there, isn't it nice to be clean? But then he's he like tests the dog's blood it. and it's dead. And it's, it's like, he has to, he has to, <laughs> the next scene is him burying the dog. And that's what yeah. he discovers. <laughs> With a uh, steak in it. Yeah. There's no, but it's just a bag with a steak. It's just a bag with a steak just in the middle of it. It's horrible. It's a it's great so cut. Uh, but, but then he is confronted by a woman in, in the light of day. And who is like, he, and, and also he finds bodies that have been 
staked, but with like harpoons, with iron like with stakes. iron with yeah. iron harpoons, like not his signature uh, wooden yeah. stake. So he it, it dawns on him that there are like there are other people alive in the eternal city of Rome. Um <laughs> Uh, then, yeah, so he finds he finds the woman. He finds a woman, and he's like, "Oh, like I can help you." And he brings her back to his his bachelor pad. Yes. Uh, but he's like, you know, kind of suspicious uh, about what her deal is, and he like shakes some garlic at her, and she's like, "No, I yeah. just have a nervous stomach. It's, uh, trust me, I'm not a vampire. <laughs> just, <laughs> trust me, trust me. I just don't like having." reams of of garth garlic waved in my face like out of the blue yeah. i'm just a little put off by that well she's a vampire folks. Yeah, you're just freaking me out man i don't want to it would be weird it would be yeah, a weird it would be kind of weird just go like yeah. <laughs> no she he's right she's a damn vampire so like not not only is she able of to walk around during the daytime, but also she has like retained all of her mental faculties, unlike the uh, the, the the goon squad outside his house every night. Yes, but there's something off of there. Like we see her, like she has like a little uh, like hypodermic, and she's giving herself injections of some kind. And like what what he finds out is that like she 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 has the disease, she has the virus, but like they have there's some sort of uh, new civilization or community that has developed that has figured out a way to kind of like. Uh, contain the virus through like uh, like a daily regimen. I mean, yeah, get Pfizer on this. <laughs> you have to buy it every day. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. They're having to get hourly, daily, get and administer these injections, and like that's the more advanced. Yeah. That's like the more advanced. There is this moment where he's like, "What? You're doing all this?" And and she's basically like, "Yeah, dumb. Like you dumb fuck. Like yeah. you hillbilly. <laughs> yeah. Like yeah. we've all been working on this. You're you're basically in the dark ages." He gets sort of yeah. He's, and what she tells him is that like, I was sent to you like undercover to find out how much you knew about the virus, but I've come to realize that you know far <laughs> less than we do. Yeah, <laughs> yes. you know nothing. Yeah, yeah. And which so I think is a good. Yeah, it works very well as a blow to his grandiosity as the the king of the world, basically. Yeah, the last he, man on earth, and he's like, "Oh wait, no, I suck at this." No, he's, he's just, just a, a he's just a forgotten man <laughs> on earth. <laughs> yeah, doing shop, we're shopping. And not only that, but he's like he's the great boogeyman to them. He's yes. like the, the, hence the, the title monster. of the Matheson story, "I Am Legend." Is that like oh. you know like yeah like he he is the vampire to the new form of humanity of like the post virus humanity that is uh, like kind of semi cured themselves, but like he does not know that they still have their humanity. So he's been going out every day butchering them by the hundreds and throwing their bodies in pits, but they were just like regular people essentially. Well, regular people yeah. with like maybe a little bit of sensitive lights, photosensitivity, but that's yes. it. And he has left their blood drained <laughs> corpses all over the city. So like, in effect, he is actually the vampire. He is the monster yeah. to them. And there is no place for him in this like new society of long COVID sufferers because he's killed so many of them. <laughs> but yeah. So he... He he is able to whip up uh, a vaccine, like he does a little Operation Warp Speed, and yes. you know finds he ha he he hypothesizes that he has an immunity to the virus because he was bitten by a vampire bat in like Panama years ago that perhaps had some early form of the virus. You know he went to the yes. Wuhan wet market before ate, before it got yeah. to the wet market. I was in Panama for a sex tour. I mean uh, <laughs> for a fun vacation. He ate the pangolin soup and he got. <laughs> 
<laughs> he, got, he got some sort of immunity. And he then is able to use his blood to create, like, a full vaccine that, like, completely eradicates yeah. the virus. And, like, he tests it on the woman, and she's not allergic to garlic anymore. And she's like, I can eat Italian again. Yay! <laughs> yeah. But... <laughs> It's like, it's but been like, so hard living here in Rome. I mean, <laughs> L.A. It's been so hard living in Los Angeles with this garlic yeah. allergy. But basically, like, she tells him, like, she, she realizes that, like, he's not a monster. He just doesn't understand. And she's like, you got to get out of here. Like, I, the, basically, they're already on their way to come kill you. And then we see, like... The, like the real goon squad shows up of just like a bunch of guys in like black turtlenecks off the back of like a pickup truck and yeah. they have guns and harpoons and they come <laughs> in and just like wipe out all of the like Mark one ghouls in front of his house because they're like, yes. no, we're here to kill you. Like, get, 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 yes. these <laughs> get these bums out of the way. <laughs> so yeah, like uh, th then we get the scene of him uh, like they, they're they're rolling deep and like they chase him out of his house and like he's running around. Then we get the hilarious scene of he he somehow finds an armory, which is really funny because it's like a block away from his house. It would have been better if he had found that a couple months earlier. He would have had all these guns and grenades and stuff. But then we get yeah. of course the hilarious scene of Vincent Price being chased around and like Mr. Burns style throwing smoke grenades at this uh, like army of men chasing him. <laughs> yes it took me a sec it's like that's what you got out of the armory yeah. like, there's a bunch of guns and stuff he grabs a, a huge ba like easter basket full of what i guess are smoke bombs and then he daintily gingerly throws them behind him and and, and then they give gives the people a, a little mild sniffle the yeah. they just you know continue to close in yeah it's um, very much well, I think maybe maybe he was feeling, you know, uh, disillusioned by killing after he discovered, oh, they have like brains and like can think and stuff. <gasps> That's a good point, Hessa. That's a good mm -hmm. point. Maybe. I would also <laughs> say that this is another example of reverse engineering in a good way where it is nice, you know, in your in the climax to have a bunch of smoke around. Very, yeah, very beautiful. <laughs> so you just have going to you know, a church with a bunch of smoke. Yeah, it's a big it's, church, a bunch of smoke. Love it. Mm -hmm. it's Classic yeah. LA giant Catholic church. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, the last scene in the movie is that they chase him into a church and they like harpoon him through the chest, like very much like you know, Jesus Christ style. And yes. then but like for for all of his uh refound humanity, like his last words in the movie, I love it. He's just screaming at them, going, You're, you're all freaks, all of you. <laughs> freaks, <laughs> mutations. I'm a man. I'm the last man. It's like uh, Day of the Dead. Choke on it. Yeah. <laughs> Choke on it. <sighs> but no, I it mean, is. He, I, I loved him saying, "You're all freaks." That you're was all freaks. Yeah. But I think it's like, so uh, great. I want that to be my last words. Honestly, yeah. I don't care. Yes, I don't yes. care if it's my family and loved ones surrounding me. I'm definitely gonna try and sneak <laughs> you're out. All you're freaks. all freaks. <laughs> mutations <laughs> Beep. that'd be a great way to go out but i mean what i like about this movie is like i said like the the, the sort of banality of the end of the world and also yes. like the 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 very strong suggestion that like that human beings have already kind of like dehumanized ourselves like the the, the viral vampire apocalypse is just the kind of me me metaphorical expression of our collective loss of humanity through um, you know, like our, our jobs, daily modern yes. life is that we have kind of dehumanized ourselves. We've separated ourselves from other people. We don't see our neighbors or colleagues as people anymore. We just see them as like, you know, objects to be thrown in a pit should it become necessary at some point. Yeah. Yes. 
it's very and it's very uh uh i feel like there's i I haven't it's a i don't have my thoughts aren't fully formed on this but just like because we live in this age of of uh of everything feeling like the end of days and everybody is it feels kind of a little bit masturbatory everybody is very worried about the other shoe dropping you know like the bomb going off or the volcanoes whatever but but i feel like just apocalypse narratives, apocalypse movies are always about the world we are in, which is already has already died. It's it's do you know what I mean? Yeah. It's not this yeah. neuro neurotic anxiety about the future. It's always a reflection of the part of the world that's already been irrecoverably lost yeah. forever. And, <laughs> yes. And yes. That and this we were talking very about that, much in that school. We talked about that last um last episode with uh, Night of the Living Dead, where they're like, they have no idea that the, the already zombies are roaming the the world, and like they're just dr- on a nice drive in the countryside. <laughs> like, yes, yes. So yeah, that is the last man on Earth. Tessa, <sighs> Data, thank you, <laughs> thank you. We're now moving on to Roger Corman's Mask of the Red Death, which is really uh, the, the Last Man on Earth is a movie about. Um, how boring disease in the end of the world is, or just like, you know, how yeah. kind, of, kind of like dehumanized you are. Mask of the Red Death is basically a movie about how fun and cool the end of the world is. <laughs> or, yeah. or just like how much fun, how much decadent fun you can have in the end of days. Personalized by the motion picture screen's prince of horror, Vincent Price. Garoppa. No, I beg of you. Mercy, mercy. With the devil's own darling, Hazel Court. Lord Satan. Send me a demon. So I may know I'm to be your wife. And a lost, virginal angel of innocence, Jane Asher. I want to help save your soul so you can join me in the glories of hell. No, never. She's a woman cursed by Satan Seneschal, whose very existence turns the white rose blood red. Diamonds, rubies, emeralds, pearls. Lavishly, he plants his corrupting seeds of sin, spreading living terror that not even the unsullied can escape. craves all the forbidden pleasures of the depraved. Each man creates his own heaven, his own hell. Let me see your face. We are back and moving on from The Last Man on Earth to 1964 as The Mask of the Red Death, directed by Roger Corman, and of course, based on a story by Edgar Allan Poe. But before we get into The Mask of the Red Death, I do want to talk a little bit about American International Pictures, which uh, produced both of these movies, and the kind of entertainment lawyer turned sort of indie studio executive Samuel Arkoff, who was sort of the impresario behind Corman and a lot of of these 
Vincent Price movies, but basically it was an independent film studio that did a lot of these kind of like schlocky B movies that are like by now considered, you know, like masterpieces. But I think the interesting thing about them is that they were the, the first film studio to specifically like pr- produce movies and market them to oh. teenage boys. Because what they realized in the 60s is that adults watch television, but teenagers, there was a huge untapped market specifically for teenage boys. And I was looking up Samuel Arkoff, and this is, uh, you want to read this? The AIP publicity department devised a strategy called the Peter Pan syndrome based on these following principles that are like of just about the truest things I've ever heard anyone say about movies. The Peter Pan syndrome states that A, a younger child will watch anything an older child will watch. B, an older child will not watch anything a younger child will watch. C, a girl will watch anything a boy will watch. And D, a boy will not watch anything a girl will watch. So therefore, to catch your greatest audience, you zero in on the 19-year-old male. Is really, oh, that, that, that's, that's studio exec mindset. And, <laughs> and then uh, in, in light of the Mask of the Red Death, uh, Samuel Arkoff also had what he called like the Arkoff formula for, for movies that he produced. And they had to have the following. This is, you know, based on his name, A for action, in parentheses, exciting, entertainment <laughs> oh, drama. R for revolution, novel or controversial themes and ideas. K, killing, a modicum of violence. O, oratory, notable dialogue and speeches. F, fantasy, acted out fantasies common to the audience. And finally, the last F, for fornication, sex appeal for young adults. And (laughs) the Mask of the Red Death has all of these elements. All of these. That's so magical. That's That's also, it's a, that, I feel like, I feel like they're playing a little fast and loose there with oratory. Yeah. (laughs) That feels like a, a, a filler one, but I'm glad if it got any great oratory into these movies i feel like it is oh i mean i think i think vincent price brings the oratory by simply every time he opens his mouth it's like you feel like he's orating he's not (laughs) speaking you know he's not just delivering lines have you has a a theta have you heard of the lord of flies lucifer the fallen (laughs) angel (laughs) i'm so excited uh so great and um yeah, and it's funny, like, uh, the, the, this, the, this was, like, the 19-year-old male formula. Because, you know, like, there's definitely some sex and violence in this movie, but it is funny to think in 1964, like, how do we get teenage boys into movies? Like, I don't know. Oh, I don't know. Put Vincent Price in it and have it be based on an Edgar <laughs> Allan Poe story filled with, yeah. filled with costume, color, and set design. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> no, absolutely. It's like... Damn, teenage boys were so much fruitier back then. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. they, lo- they had they had camp values. They're all yes, absolutely. They love tights. And, <laughs> they love tights. Uh, one more uh, uh, sort of movie mindset connection with Roger Corman's *The Mask of the Red Death* is that Nicholas Rogue was the director of photography <laughs> yeah. on this movie, and you can really tell. Wow. No it way! Looked, like there's there are so many of those like so I'd say like I think there's something like eight Roger Corman, Edgar Allan Poe adaptations. I, they're, they're all really good. We chose Mask of the Red Death because of the Nicholas Rogue connection and that it is like, it's the most, 
as I, I think because it was like a considered not successful. I think Arkov said it was because it was too arty farty compared to the other ones. <laughs> and like with rogue cinematography, it's like uh, Corman was really going for something here, not just like a straight horror movie, like for instance, The Pit and the Pendulum or uh, The Tomb of Lygia or like some of the other Corman Poe adaptations. But like, but uh, th I think this is largely considered the best of them. And it's because, I mean, the colors in this movie are incredible. And like just that opening scene of the old woman and it's just like this like sort of foggy moor and then just the figure in red sitting underneath a dead tree. And it's this like, it's, 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 it's all filmed like... on set. But I, I love that look of like out, like of, the constructed sets doubling for the yeah. outdoors is a I love that look in movies. It's so good. It's it so tricks much me better. every time too. It really <laughs> I'm like damn. <laughs> what woods did they film this shit in? <laughs> <laughs> well, this 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 was like because this was the first one that I watched of these and that and 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 like I immediately like three seconds in I I was like. This is so great. This is a f now finally it's like a fable. Because I, I feel like it's actually very hard to get this in movies now. That it's hard to even ask for it for movies. But like within three seconds, you're like, "This is a fable. We're on a set. There's an old woman. She's gonna meet a guy. That's how it starts. It's not like, uh, it's not like like Hessa's in bed and there's an alarm clock and she has to wake up and she has to put on her clothes and she has to go. You know, uh." Like it's like we're in, we're in it right yeah, away. Yeah, it's like these these Jungian archetype type, uh, yeah, so you know, characters walking it's like, on the screen. Like. Yeah, uh, uh, and yeah, Nicholas Rogue did not have to go as hard as he did with the with the cinematography <laughs> in this movie because yeah. it is because this is like a, once again like a, you know a campy B picture, but like this movie yeah. is gorgeous, and we'll get into like Prince Prospero and his like colored bathrooms <laughs> and yeah. just the, the whole set design of the castle. But the opening scene is, yeah, like the, the, this like hunched over, it's like it's set in like, I don't know, like the set in like 17th century Italy or something like that. And it's this like peasant crone hunched over, like, you know, dragging a kindling back to her hovel <laughs> and comes across like, a, like this ethereal figure clad entirely in red who tells her that her day, the day of reckoning is at hand and then bleeds from his palm onto a white rose, which then be turns oh, blood yeah. red. And you're like, I'd be like, I was watching this with Chris and he said, it uh, reminded him of the, uh, the Stefan Heck tweet about like a gypsy overturns a tarot card and it's a picture of me and a hot air balloon flying into like pie power lines. And then he's like, <laughs> me, is this bad? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Maybe it's fine. Maybe it's a good, maybe it's a nice just a little oh, wow. red flower. <laughs> Beautiful so, prom. I'm getting asked to prom. <laughs> <laughs> and Prone then uh, prom? <laughs> she she goes to her uh, her awful peasant village and then they're like, make way for Prince Prospero. And then the one of the first scenes of this movie is a baby being nearly trampled to death by horses. <laughs> yeah. <You're so> right. <laughs> It's so, so he, crazy. So uh, uh, Vincent Price pl pl plays uh, Prince Prospero, who is like the asshole overlord of like the you know he just like he, he him and his crew just like roll up to this like peasant village just to stunt on them and tell them how shitty they are. <laughs> like, yes. yes, like thanks yes. for all the food you gave. Yeah, yeah, this, yeah. It's like, uh, yeah, exactly. to <laughs> yeah, to like uh, take in taxation all their food for the winter, and he's like, any complaints from anyone? <laughs> yes. 
And then like at some point they're like, but please, Prince, like it's cold. Like I, we have no place to stay. And he's like burrowing the ground like animals. <laughs> he says like, he says <laughs> eat, eat nuts like squirrels do or something like that. He's, he's a real, yeah. He, uh, Vincent Price is loving being evil in this movie. And like he's having yeah. so much fun being the most evil guy in the world in this movie. Yes. He is, yeah. Yeah. The, and um, original to this screenplay in its adaptation of uh, Poe's Mask of the Red Death is that it is an invention of the screenwriter that he, they, by make, they make Prince Prospero a Satanist in this movie, which I think works yes. really well. Oh, it and works the, so well. And the message of the movie, like the final resolution of everything and like the the moral system within the movie even though like prince prosper was kind of wrong it is like kind of a satanist type of message it's not like a a catholic or christian <laughs> message it's very it's very strange because i think like the ideology of this movie is can be summed up as like um you know the each man makes his own heaven and his own hell and then it's like Oh damn, that's like that's kind of swag. <laughs> it's like it's not a Catholic message at all or a Christian message, which is like very interesting to see in like an American movie that deals with Satanism yeah. directly, in that usually there has to be an exact like um, you know, uh rebuking of those values. But in this it's like, yeah, no, you can be a Satanist, but like don't be surprised when the Red Death comes and gets you because uh, you know, he's the Red Death has no master. <laughs> I mean, like, yeah, I, I, I think this movie does a, a a credible job of expressing the values and culture of Satanists in a way that isn't, you know, uh, offensive. I mean, yeah. I think it's, it's credible. <laughs> I, th I think, like, so probably some real Satanists worked on this movie, so it wasn't, like, wasn't the fake Hollywood version yeah. of Satanism. This was, you know, do what thou wilt, oh, yeah. and thou shalt be I the whole of the law. I like the scene where he explains to the, the young Christian wench about Christianity by explaining to her how falcons are trained, and he says, their eyes are sewn oh, shut, yeah. and they suffer, they suffer with humility, with patience the whims of their god just like you and it's like you know christianity has blinded you to you know like the the uh to the 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 the, the pleasures of surrendering to decadence and nihilism essentially yeah. and so uh basically uh the, the, so the red death has hit this village and uh prince prospero's uh so first of all like uh th there's a young man who saves the baby from being trampled by prince prospero and he's sort of like a a revolutionary he's like hey like you, you shouldn't take all our yeah. food and uh <laughs> women and whatever and then they're like that's more pie in the sky magical Seize thinking him. from a libtard <laughs> seize him <laughs> <laughs> yeah and so like it's like uh it's this young woman it's her father and her lover and like Prince yeah. Prospero, like he sees that played by like, Jane Ooh. Asher, the beautiful. Yeah. Oh yeah, she was gorgeous. Jane Asher. Oh, she's very sexual. She's <laughs> very really... beautiful, very sexual. Yeah, she's <laughs> hitting the Arkov, uh, whatever. Yeah, she's hitting one of those fornication. Redheads, you've got to have redheads <laughs> yeah. in movies. <laughs> yeah. Um, and Prince Prospero is going to have a little fun with them and basically make her choose which one of them is going to live. But before that happens, they realize that the Red Death has hit this village and then it's just like, oops, we'll have to postpone this. I'm just going to burn the village down. So they, they burn all these uh, peasants out of their homes. And I said, I said a note here where I just say, I love seeing people on fire in movies. 
Like anytime, yes. anytime, I, like there's a stuntman just like a body like shot like toe to head, fully engulfed in flame, just like waving their hands violently. Absolutely, that is that to me is movie magic. <laughs> Bonus points in bonus points in this one. There's one person on fire who has a a fake baby in their arms, and yeah. you can hear baby crying. <laughs> yeah, it's like, so crazy. <laughs> uh, can we talk a little bit about uh, the costumes in this movie and the fucking getups that they put Vincent Price in as Prince Prospero? Are so funny. Like I said, I watched this with uh, Chris and Catherine the other night, and Chris said it's giving prop closet. And then described <laughs> the, the, the first the first outfit we see Prince Prospero in. He said like it's like he's wearing a uh, Aquaman's tunic and a mariachi hat. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it's so cool. It's so yeah, cool. I I will always like for all of the Vincent Price um Roger Corman Poe collabs, I always think it's funny to think like um like Vincent Price shows up in his own clothes <laughs> from his own closet. <laughs> uh, um yeah, so so he he uh he he kidnaps this buxom wench, her father and her lover, and brings him uh, brings them back to his like uh, castle of satanic decadence. Um, then they're like we meet some of the other like nobles that like are under his uh, the, the, in, in his sort of satanic cult, including um, the noble Alfredo. Uh, is played by the same actor who plays the writer who is yes. paralyzed and his wife raped and killed in a Clockwork Orange. McGee, oh my God. I think Patrick, yeah, Patrick McGee. McGee. Patrick McGee, yeah. Who's just one of the great creepy faces ever. Oh, yeah. he, also yes. play, he was also in... Uh, uh, he played Marquis de Sade in this movie, Mar, Mar Sade. Uh, oh, cool. Because he's Ooh. like a Royal Shakespeare guy. He was like a yeah. Royal Shakespeare Company guy, and he's... It was great to see him here as just an evil Italian. <laughs> yes, as a evil shitty Italian, Italian guy. Yeah. It's a great uh, B plot. But one of the things I was thinking about watching this movie is like, imagine the Jane Asher character. Imagine like the 24 hours of her life, like that day where it's like you wake up, um, baby nearly trampled, village burned to the ground, plague kills all of your relatives, friends, and loved ones, brother and lover kidnapped by a sadistic pervert, then you're taken to a castle and washed in a big golden goose bath. <laughs> Did you guys like the goose bathtub in this? I love the goose bathtub, and I love that when she was in the goose bathtub and Vincent Price walks in with his, like, sister slash... Uh, female yeah. protege lover type person yeah. yeah yes and um uh jane asher is immediately like you shouldn't be in here and he just looks at all the women in the room bathing her and he's like everyone leave you're <laughs> 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 like, oh. like i shouldn't be in here why don't you why don't i make things weirder by making everyone leave <laughs> there is a this is a there is a there is a nice thing in the um in the young lady also who she is. She has a great equanimity, like you're saying that she's gone through this whole day, and then she's in this big bathtub, and she does seem. She's not kicking and screaming, really. Is she? Am I crazy? She's sort no, of like. No, she's. She really is like very. She's like, oh God, will deliver me because I love. I love God, and. Um, she's a beautiful simpleton. Like, yeah, absolutely. He's like, really? <laughs> Why don't I? <laughs> 
You have to see what I will see what I do with your lover and your father then. <laughs> see if you believe in God after that. <laughs> yeah. And you know, see so like yeah, he he wants to have some fun with her. He wants to corrupt this this good Christian yes. wench. And he's like, you know, I hope you enjoyed the goose bath. Now now on to my court of perverts. And like most of this movie takes place in this like in his sort of grand hall of his castle. And it's just like the, the set design in this movie is out of control. Cool. Like everything is so everything Beautiful. is so brightly lit. And then we get yeah. into that sequence that's like returned to over and over again of that series of rooms that Prince Prospero has that each have yeah. their own color. Where everything in yes. it is just all one color. And just the and then like oftentimes like they're they're like it's shot where you can see like it it's like a long hallway and you can see each room after each other. So like some shots yeah. are like all yellow and then there's like or all white. And then like when the camera changes again, you see like down the hallway of like these series of colors. And it's just like like a Russian nesting doll of yeah. colored rooms, kind of. It's just like they're they it's were having incredible. Yeah. yeah. Have people read the story? Is this in the story or is this a, yes. a fabrication for the movie? Oh, this is in the yes. story. The um, I think the whole story takes place in that hallway. I think most oh. of it, or if not all of it, takes place in. And the final room at the end of the hallway is like his black room where he has his like altar to Satan or whatever. Yeah. I think like that was replaced in the story. It's a black clock that is like the the the, the omen at the end of oh, everything. Oh, I see. Um, but in this one, I don't know if you notice in, in his grand hall, he has a pit in the pendulum clock because like all yes. the Cor- all the Corman <laughs> Edgar Allan Poe movies are kind of mashups of like a number of different stories like in this one the uh the dwarf character which by the way we got to talk about the fact that they cast a child and dubbed her voice with an adult woman that was really confusing to me (laughs) they did okay okay Uh, and the, like the child is like in love with the dwarf well, man okay. the adult and male like, dwarf yeah no yeah. but, but in, <laughs> in the world and this is quite confusing Hassan, you know, yeah. but in yeah. the world of the movie that is supposed to be an adult female dwarf but like we were watching this and once again Chris was like this isn't like in the 60s so they probably had a dwarf actress to portray this role but they were probably like oh she's not hot enough let's just cast a, a 8 year old girl and <laughs> yes. dub her no, voice No that's absolutely yeah. what it is. <laughs> yeah. So uh, wow. as part of the court of perverts he has these like you know dancing minstrels and dwarves you know like as one does if you're a yeah. evil lord in a castle <laughs> you got to have some yeah. you got to have some minstrels and jesters and a few dancing dwarves and yeah, the, and the, I, the, I, the dwarf plotline of this movie is like the kind of B plot is not in Mask of the Red Death, but it is like an, it's, it's an adaptation of another post story called uh, Hop to- uh, Hop Frog or uh, Hop Frog is the name of the story. Hop Toad is the name oh, of the character okay. in this movie. But like his revenge against Alfredo for smacking the uh, his 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 girl is yeah when he, we'll get we'll get it's to his revenge wife. which is awesome yeah and it's it's actually like i think serves the the perversion and insanity and like evilness of the um of the the coterie of you know hangers on to prince prospero so well that um the female dwarf played by an eight-year-old girl who you don't <laughs> know is supposed to be um an adult female dwarf <laughs> until she opens secure. her mouth yeah, oh, yeah, she, yeah. And um but before she opens her mouth she's doing the dance and it cuts to um what's his name Patrick McGee um Alfredo. Yeah, Patrick McGee and he's like looking at her like with the most disgusting lustful look oh, you've yeah. ever seen in your life and Prince Prospero's like you like what you see. Yeah. And he's like oh <laughs> I wonder 
I wonder how she would fare in the bed. And it's like, what the fuck? (laughs) (laughs) And and like she accidentally spills wine on him and he smacks her. And like, like, you know, they they all laugh because, yeah, like uh, this is a movie about, you know, cruelty and sadism and decadence. Yeah. Um, but then another thing I love is that, um, like all of his courtiers and, 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 you know, like, uh, all, all the clout chasers that are in his castle because they're like, oh, we're afraid, he, you know, the story goes like he invites all of the nobles to shelter in his, in his castle to like sort shelter, of quarant- in to sort of shelter in place and quarantine <laughs> with him, uh, to uh, just avoid- ride it out. Yeah, avoid the ravages, you know, like order DoorDash, you know, watch movies, (laughs) catch up on some reading, you know, tell yourself that you're going to learn how to bake bread, you know, all the things you do. Yes, absolutely. But um, I love love Prince Prospero. He just, like, has all his guests, but all he does is just, like, hate on them and make them act like piggies. Like, he's just like, you're you're a pig, aren't you? And then, like, (laughs) they start start miming and doing pig noises and walking around on all fours. So he he goes through his guests, and one after the other, he makes them act like a pig, a worm, and a donkey. And I got to say, podcast mindset. Prince Prospero, <laughs> the first broadcaster, because all of his hangers-on and fans are pigs, donkeys, and worms. <laughs> you're braying like a jackass. Yeah. And Why don't way, you act it, like one? If you're listening to this right now, I would like you to please, uh, you know, mime the behavior of a pig, donkey, or a worm <laughs> while you listen to this. Absolutely. Make some pig noises through your nose canceling headphones, bray like a donkey, or just sort of wiggle wiggle around a little wiggle bit. Wiggle like a worm. The guy who was supposed to be a worm was doing a pretty bad job, I have to say. He was, <laughs> yeah. he was not moving efficiently, you know. And like, this you know, he, beautiful and, then, and then he tells yes. all his other guests, he's like, you know, uh, entertain me with your best impressions of animals and the way they rut and, you know, the noises they make. So once again, imagine you're Jane Asher. You've just been given a goose bath. You've just been showed a satanic altar. Now all these rich assholes are having an animal orgy, like a, a pantomime animal orgy in front yeah. of you. A true pan. Yeah, it's a true animal orgy. It's like it's it's very direct. Yes. It's not like might this be might these people be having a, some weird satanic orgy? It's like no, they are. It's very direct. <laughs> nothing uh, nothing like, coy about it. Uh, so when I was watching this uh, like uh, this week. I was struck by like with with all the like the, the different color rooms and all of the tarot imagery. Joe Dorowski really borrowed a lot from this movie in like the oh, Holy yeah, Mountain absolutely. and like and, like his sort of like more surrealist films. But like the the look of all of Joe Dorowski's movies, I think, is like heavily borrowed from Corman's Mask of the Red Death. Absolutely, that's a, um, that is a strong. I think that is a strong. strong that's a strong influence. Yeah, like a, yeah, yeah. And it, 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 I found that I found that kind of thing much more pleasing in this movie than in Jodorowsky. No offense to that old, yeah, that old, <laughs> that old goofball, <laughs> that old goofy guy, that old yeah. goofy guy. Uh, yeah, I mean, like I, I, was, I mean, as long as you're talking about, I feel like with like Jodorowsky, like I like him as a person and a character yeah. more than I like any of his movies. Yeah, yeah, I like, I really like the first 
20 to 30 minutes of all of his movies a lot and then it become it's like okay <laughs> <laughs> did you I, I, this is again a sidebar but I, I actually think that the worst movie I've ever seen in my entire life is is psycho magic it's like a documentary that has, it. it's like his <laughs> last thing that he put out I think it's probably the worst movie I've ever seen in my entire life anyway bless him a ringing endorsement from Veda <laughs> I have to see it I have to watch it um so yeah like uh the uh uh jane asher the the uh comely christian wench she's sort of like uh is she, like shown to the dungeons by prince prospero where they're gonna make her love her boyfriend and father fight each other to the death they keep trying to get like get get her to choose between these guys and it like keeps being averted in some way but he's yeah. having fun he's having fun toying with her and then we like he shows her the his Falcon collection, which I also love. And yeah, the line was, he says, uh, she suffers the whims of her God patiently until her will is submerged and she learns to serve. And often the appearance (laughs) of evil is just a lack of understanding. And he like gives her his whole satanic kink spiel about, you know, being, being a sub for Satan, (laughs) the Lord of flies, (laughs) the Lord of flies, the fallen angel. And that's where he says, uh, Satan, right? Like, yes, I was so I, w- I remember being like very very delighted at how direct and early that happens. Yeah, yeah. You're not left. Uh, you're not left going. Oh, I wonder. I wonder what he's up to. It's like no. I wonder what this guy's deal is. <laughs> he's like no. the Lord of the Flies. I like when he I'm says evil. Satan is a god of truth and facts and reason. Satan is like you know he's a he's a facts don't care about your feelings guy. Facts and logic. And then like facts he's trying logic. to he's trying to like because uh, obviously like he sees a challenge and like you know all of the people that surround him are yeah like Satanist clout chasers and they're easy yeah and they all just want to That's impress so him funny. and act like a donkey for his amusement but then he sees this like <laughs> hot virtuous peasant girl and he's just like ooh how fun will it be to corrupt her and yeah. so like he, he wants to he, as he says to her he says i want to save your soul to join me in the glories of hell i will lead you through the cruel light into the velvet darkness and like i don't know at this point i just be kind of thinking you know like that doesn't sound too bad it was better than living in that fucking <laughs> village <laughs> yeah, 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 i mean yeah. the village sucked i mean we were yeah. eating mud for dinner every night yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there's nothing to eat do like mud based lifestyle <laughs> yeah um, just stacking sticks up for fun, making little stick dolls <laughs> <laughs> that kill each other. <laughs> dragging, dry, stick, dragging sticks from here to there. It does. Yeah. It just. It's also. It's a great. It's. It's like what is designed in the movie. The palace is designed. What isn't? What did they not spend money on? Well, the mud hut village. Like who cared? No <laughs> yes. Like and so it almost doesn't even exist. So you go. Well, why would I want to be out there? It doesn't even exist. This. This is the only place that I. Like after the end of the one scene it's in, it literally doesn't exist because they burn it down. Just yeah, like, yeah, literally. yeah. There's nowhere for her really to go. So yeah, let's hang out at the castle. She does seem to have a kind of vibe, like, well, okay, let's hang out at the castle. Yeah, let's see where this leads. Am I crazy? Us. <laughs> yeah. No, she definitely does. I I said in the beginning that uh, like for for all of the nobles, like they spent all the money on the set. And then, like, Carmen had, like, a key grip rob a Shakespeare company next door. But for the uh, for the brother and the, no, sorry, the lover and the father character, I think they just, like, stole from, a like, a panto production of Peter Pan because <laughs> of those tights yes. they're wearing. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> they're both dressed like Peter Pan. <laughs> Absolutely. The, like, plastic weapons that they use in the fight scenes. It's, like, it's so cool. 
Um, yeah, so basically, like, uh, Prince Prospero decides to have a mask, you know, like a, like a, a costume party yeah. for all his friends to, you know, while away the time. But they're going to have a little entertainment before that. They're going to have a feast, and then they're going to make the, uh, the father and the boyfriend kill each other. And he does that by, like, he, he addresses his guests, and he's just like, thank you all for being here, but, like, I know some of you are haters and talk shit about me behind my back. <laughs> and he sort of, like, he throws a series of five daggers on the table, and then tells the, uh, the 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 two other guys that one of the daggers is poisoned with like uh, you know like a, a toxin that will kill you within five seconds, and they have to basically trade off cutting their arm back and forth until one of them is dead. And basically, it gets to the father, and it's the last knife, and he knows he's going to die, and he tries, he attempts to stab Prospero, but he's waiting for him and just runs him through with the sword. That's all, a great, all, such a great sequence. All, all while this is going on, we have the dwarf character who's like beginning to lay the plans for his revenge on Alfredo, who sort of like he comes to him and implies heavily that he's like, you know, I'm I'm not satisfied in my current employment as court dwarf for Prince Prospero, and I'm wondering if there <laughs> yes. are perhaps gainful opportunities for a uh, like a minstrel and a dwarf in your <sighs> employ. And then he's like, yes, but only if you tell me all of Prince Prospero's dirty secrets. And he's like, I'll do you one better. I'll teach you how to act like an ape for this costume party and we'll have a lot of fun <laughs> <Yes>. doing it <laughs> huge improvement that's like his his plan that works it's yeah. like a really like he's like okay why don't you get he's like i'm going to dress as a cool demon and he's like you know what would be cooler than that if you dress like a big dumb ape <laughs> i think it's, yeah, it's, the, uh, it's the same gorilla costume that they used in trading places <laughs> yeah, literally <laughs> and like um the also meanwhile this i would like to i'd like to talk about also the uh the c or d plot of um vincent price's former um sister slash girlfriend slash something yeah her. This is, oh man this the, is the psychedelic dream sequence a lot going on there the cavalcade of racist caricatures yes. <laughs> yes. one, yeah. one after yeah. the other yeah <laughs> Right when you think they're not going to do another racist caricature, uh, yeah, another <laughs> one appears. Another one. So, <laughs> Lady Lady Juliana, who is Prince Prospero's sister slash lover slash lady of the house, is like yeah. wants like more than anything whore. to be inducted. Yeah, she wants to be a bride of Satan. And there's a great scene where she brands herself with an inverted cross to mark herself as one of Lucifer's wives. And then, like, as sort of a final stage, she sort of like she. Drink. She doses herself with like LSD. She drinks uh, some sort of hallucinogenic compound, and then has then has this like bizarre psychedelic dream sequence. Well, how shall I describe this? In her dream sequence, she uh, experiences being sacrificed on an altar by an African Chinese and sort of South Pacific Islander guy, and they all sort of and a wizard yeah. and. Just, just thrown in for good measure. <laughs> just a white wizard. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah. 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 So she's like, uh, she dreams of herself on this altar, and she's like, ah, no, she's being ravaged one after the other, where it's like being stabbed, wink, wink, by you know, yeah, like a, mm -hmm. a series of uh, racial stereotypes of like witch doctors from across all African, Asian, and Middle Eastern. Aztec. Yeah. Aztec. An yeah. Aztec guy. Yeah. So it's like, yeah, it's like a. Yeah, it's like it's a small world Hard after all for human sa human <laughs> slash sexual sacrifice. Yeah. <laughs> they were having fun in the '60s, and that's another thing I was thinking of this movie. Like, I was I was kind of blown away that this movie was made in 1964. But the, I think it's just about the color and all the satanic decadence really made me think that this movie was in the early '70s. But it's like a decade earlier. Wow. Yeah. 
It's really crazy. This is like four years before Night of the Living Dead, which is yeah. crazy in a different way. But like is, you know, this this has a lot of like, you know, the the incredible, you know, a lot of like crazy sequences in this one. Oh, we got to talk about my other my one of my other favorite scenes in the movie is when like uh, some 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 revelers arrive late to the party. And they're oh, like yeah. outside the castle gates, and he's like, "Oh, Prince Prospero, let me in, please!" And then he's just like, "No, sorry, asshole!" And like he makes this guy <laughs> no. beg for his life, and then he offers him his wife, and he goes, "Please, Prince Prospero, you can have my wife. You can do whatever you will with her." And he goes, "I've already had that rather dubious pleasure." And oh, then he, yeah. and, and, <laughs> and then he shoots them both with crossbows. <laughs> no, he shoots the guy. He shoots the guy with a crossbow, oh, and, and then, then throws, throws a, a dagger to yeah. the lady. And he's like, yeah. "Save yourself oh, from the red spare death." Spare yourself that from the red great. death. Yeah, he's and it's uh, it's just, so crazy that like Jane Asher is watching on this whole time and is like, <laughs> "All right, let's see what happens next. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. See what else this guy has in store." <laughs> and uh, so Juliana like attempts to, for her own reasons, let. Jane Asher's character escape, but you know uh, the, the the scene where like uh, they're like guard, and it just turns around and it's Vincent Price in uh, like a medieval uh, sort of armor or costume, and he's like, "I bet you thought you could leave my party. You're wrong. <laughs> Seize them. <laughs> Seize them." <laughs> I loved that reveal of him turning yeah, around and he's wearing around. the guard uniform, and he's just like, because oh, you know he just loves dressing up the character and the the man, Vincent Price. He's just like any opportunity to put on another costume is like. Yes, the character is a scenery chewer, uh, character actor type, like who yes. loves a costume and loves a, loves an oration, loves a like a loves to really rip into a line, and like yeah. so is the actor. It's perfectly aligned up. It's I just, I just love up. how evil he is in this movie because like a little bit later, the surviving, like the six remaining peasants from the village, like the boyfriend escapes after the father is killed by Prince Prospero. And uh, he like, he goes back to the village and there's like six people left and they have like, they've got their cart of dead bodies and they're like, he's like, where's everyone going? And they're like, we're going to beg Prince Prospero to let us inside. And he's like, no, please keep your dignity. It'll just <laughs> amuse him. And they're like, I, I, they're like, I'm worried about my body, not my soul, which is, yeah. you know, fair enough. And so then yeah. the peasants show up to beg and like, there are like um, soldiers on the battlements and then they're like, please, please, we, we, we must beseech Prince Prospero. And one of the soldiers goes, yeah, go get him. He'll find this amusing <laughs> he's like this shit entertain yeah, him, get him. Yeah. yo he's gonna he, this shit's gonna be so funny the new guy check this out this is gonna be awesome <laughs> you're not gonna believe what he does to these fucking peasants yeah, so yeah man. then he, uh, he totally shits all over them and says enjoy dying and he says uh why don't you he says store up nuts like squirrels when he when they say but please we have no food or shelter no but the, the craziest thing is that he's like um kill them all except the little girl yes and it's like oh my god this guy is so fucking evil and so crazy yeah um oh this is after of course juliana the sister she she's she's married to satan in the uh witch doctor racist dream sequence and then like her reward for getting out of the dream sequence is that she's killed by a raven (laughs) is it a raven or a falcon that's right yeah. A falcon, I think. A falcon, yeah. The and falcon then, and, rips her up. And then, and then Prospero says, like, nothing to worry. She's just married a friend of mine. And it's just, <laughs> I love it. <laughs> don't, <laughs> don't mourn for her. So then it we does, get... The, the structure of the movie really is... A, it's, it's like every, everything... Every incident sets up a line like that from him. 
Mm. Yes, it's exactly. Almost like a, it's almost like a one, like a stand-up comedian who does a bunch of. He's one-liners. an insult comic. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he's yeah. like Don Rickles. Yeah. <laughs> yes. By the way, if there are any Puerto Ricans at this mask, uh, my car is in the back for you to steal later. <laughs> oh, by the way, and uh, speaking of more racisms in this movie, when the mask actually happens and Jane Asher and Vincent Price show up, Jane Asher is dressed like Jasmine from Aladdin and Vincent Price <laughs> is dressed like Omar Sharif from Lawrence of Arabia. The co- yeah. Once again, the costumes are wild. So the yeah. mask happens. Hop Toad at the at the is like you are you are my ape, and I am from deepest Ethiopia, and like he paints himself gold, which I think I is. I think we can all be very relieved that they went yes. with gold there. <laughs> I was like, oh, thank God. Oh my God. Thank God. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so okay. Uh, the Jane Asher character, the, the the comely wench, is like before the mask happens. She uh, the, the the figure in red appears to her on the battlements and just basically. Oh no, is it to the brother? Uh, no, the, sorry, to the boyfriend. It's to the brother. Yeah, it's to the boyfriend. To the or the boyfriend. Yeah, yeah the, the boyfriend. <laughs> brother of boyfriend. And, in this movie, it's really hard to tell. Honestly. Yeah, yeah. And then basically, the the, the figure in red says, "I like I know your girlfriend's in there, buddy. A lot of guys' girlfriends in there, but don't worry." Just hang, just be cool. Hang out here. Give me like an hour, and yeah. she'll be, she'll be yes. out. No one else will. Yeah. But just like, hold, just just give me like an hour. And he's like, oh, yeah. okay, all right. <laughs> this guy in red told me it, so yeah, he, he seems strangely <laughs> mythic and ethereal. I'll, I'll trust yeah. what he has to say. So at the mask, before things really go to shit, um, we we get to see Hop Toad's revenge on Alfredo, which is like he brings him into the party dressed like an ape, and he has like a oh, he's cracking a whip on him, and then he like kind of lowers the chandeliers to trap him and basically ties him to the chandeliers, lifts him up and sets him on fire. It's a man in an ape suit being burned alive to the (laughs) gales of laughter of the, the court of perverts, which I thought was a a great touch. And once again, I gotta, I gotta credit Chris with this because you know, he's been doing all this research on the 17th century. And he said that like genuinely back in the day, People were so bored and people were so unfunny that like uh. the funniest thing that anyone could imagine were people pretending to be animals. <laughs> so like that, that was historically accurate. So like w- when you show up just doing, hey, I said, would anyone like to hear my impression of an ape? People would be like, oh my God, yes, regale us with this wonderful japeries. You know what? I'm, I'm remembering right now that there's another Poe adaptation. Um, I forgot which one it is, but it stars... Um, I think Jane Fonda and either Peter Fonda or Henry Fonda, and they're they play lovers. And father or brother? <laughs> um, it's brother. Her and her brother play lovers, and um, they, but like Jane Fonda's like evil and tries and kills Henry Fonda or Peter Fonda's like beloved pet horse. And by burning its stable alive. Oh, it was, alive it was Spirits and... of the Dead. It was the kind of like... The yes, one with, Spirits uh, of the Dead, three, yeah. It was three different directors. They each did a post short story. I think Fellini did one. Uh, Terrence Stamp is yeah. in one of them. Yeah. Oh, wow. It's Fellini, um, Louis Maul, and uh, Jacques... One of the Jacques. I can't remember. Um, <laughs> but the... Seeking to range with Jacques. Yeah, it's Jacques, Jacques Gonsolin. <laughs> um, but no, the... Um, then he becomes a horse and she becomes like obsessed with this horse. And it's like, yeah, it really like, there's a lot of animals, animal people, you know, confusion in, uh, 
in a lot of Poe short stories, I guess. I don't know. It's like a face swap. Yeah. It's like a, a little novelty. A species swap. <laughs> so then a- a- after the sort of the, the, the appetizer for this great party is uh, seeing a man in an ape costume be burned alive by a dwarf, which, you know, to be honest, that'd be pretty fun at any party. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> That's and a- Vincent Price is like, if you see Hoptoad, give him a bu- give him some money yeah. for that. <laughs> yeah, for, for that <laughs> wonderful cool. diversion. <laughs> and Hessa, also like before the party starts, he just starts throwing jewels on the floor and he's going rubies and pearls. He's literally doing the Mickey Rourke and Barfly. He's going rubies yes. for my friends. <laughs> 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 So uh, he has explicitly instructed his guests exactly what they have to wear. And the only rule is no one can wear red. And then when the party kicks into high gear, he's walking around and sees this figure in red walking around. And he's like, but wait, who's this guy? I I told everyone you can't wear red. He follows him through the series of colored rooms back to his satanic altar. And there he's confronted with him and thinks that the figure in red is an emissary of Satan come to finally reward him for his, uh, his faith and satanic virtue. And yeah. he's just like, oh, oh boy, oh boy, this is what I've been waiting my whole life. And then like to Jane Asher, he's like, kneel, kneel in front of him. But the red figure never actually says that he is the devil or a minion of Satan. And then we get the climax of this movie, which the, actually, uh, it uses interpretive dance it's like a ballet. It's like yeah. It's a, yeah. it becomes like this dance sequence, and but like the, gr- the amazing sequence of as the red death works its way through the party. He has this like flowing red rope, and he sort of waves it, and it goes over these figures who are dancing. And then when the red passes over them, the next shot is all of the the uh, these men and women, and their faces are red and covered in blood, yeah, bleeding out of just like, like every pore. It's like yeah, exactly like every person in this party who's like dancing and having fun and when they transform into the red death it's like they don't, they're not aware of it but they're already dead it's so cool and like beautiful it's, and like it's beautiful it's so yeah. well staged and it's 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 just so bold <laughs> so yeah it's like, bold and like artful and like really like breathtaking a really incredible like breathtaking sequence and i really love that um like as there as this is happening Vincent Price is going through like talking to the masked red beretted figure um like being like yo eminence thank you for doing this and like talking and like they no one at the party notices them or that they're talking and he's just like um uh he's like I want you to spare uh this my comely wench that I found and he's like go to the battlements and then she like runs away and then he's like yo eminence and he's like why do you keep calling me that? He goes, I have, <laughs> like, oh, I have no why title. Why do you keep calling me that? He says, yeah, I, he says, I your excellency, no and he goes, I have no title. And at this yeah. point, this is like my favorite part of the movie because this is when this is when Prince Prospero thinks he's like he's saying, look, your excellency, I've assembled all of these souls for you to harvest, and he's like, I can't wait yeah. for you to kill all of my annoying, all of these annoying <laughs> satanic cloud chasers. <laughs> yes. And then, but the red death <laughs> says to him, it's just like, oh no, like you too. And this is yeah. it has something you said like about the the Satanism thing where he says each man creates his own god for himself his own heaven his own hell and like that 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 sounds cool and satanic but he did not anticipate how literal that actually was each man yes. does 
actively create his own god. But guess what? And this is what I love about the end of the movie. Satanism sounds pretty cool and fun. Guess what? It's just another gay-ass religion that's fake and <laughs> <Yes>. not true. <laughs> like, Literally. It's just yeah. another thing that you made up to justify yeah. your uh, sadistic perversions. It's just like, surprise, yeah. surprise. It's just another lame-ass religion. The only god that's real is death. That's the yeah, only yeah. Yeah, that's the only power <laughs> in this universe that unites everyone yeah. is death. And I love the kind of like the rug pull from Vincent Price at the end of the movie where he realizes that it's not Satan coming to reward him. It is just the same death that comes for prince and pauper alike. I, I love um him taking off his face, his like mask, and it's also Vincent Price's face, which is like the I think is the reveal in the short story also is like yeah. <clears throat> oh cool and um yeah him just like being like oh you don't see death's face until it comes for you and then yeah, he just like right. takes off his face and he's like and i've come for you and he's like um vincent price is like horrifyingly like running from from death like through these like dancing slow motion dancing like yeah. bloody dead people and it's yes. like so cool and like chases him through the like the colored hallway again and into the the final room which like is like bathed in red after and it's just like and it, blood is literally just pouring down his face it's like so much more blood than everyone else it's so by cool. the way like, i love the way fake blood looked in this era of movies where it's just uh -huh, like uh -huh. bright red candle wax yes yes, yes. it's so cool this this is this is like the this is like the big thing that I got from both these movies, but particularly from this one, which is like a growing feeling is like that we're we're that we're dying. Like our that we're that our movies are all dying. And what are they dying from? I feel that they are dying from like taste, sophistication, subtlety, and reality. And also, like I would say that yeah. especially in Master Red Death, they're also dying from a lack of color. Can we please yes. have yes. rich, vibrant colors back in movies? I've, every horror movie now is just like the gray, gray, like gunmetal sheen, and everything is dark yeah. as hell. Whereas everything in this yes. movie is like dramatically overlit. And if anything, yes. uh, Catherine made a point of when the mask yes. starts and having a party, she's like, I'd turn down the lights just to, just a hair, just to get the, <laughs> get the vibe up a little bit. This, <laughs> this party is way too brightly lit. <laughs> <laughs> People used to be able to have fun in bright colors, bright, <laughs> yeah. bright, bright, bright colors, bright red yes. blood though too. It's like bright red blood, like you're saying. Well, it's like gets right to the point. It's like the point is not what blood looks like. The point is that this is like an explosive, spectacular, like confrontation with death and like and the this evil satanists like his his undoing you know so it should really be very sticky and bright red and so gross and. And it feels so much better. It's like, oh, this is what it's all about. This is everything. Yes, this is what this is the movie mindset. Truly, yes. this is the yes. movie mindset. <laughs> yes. uh, Theta, we must return with a V to uh, enticing horny nineteen-year-old guys with Edgar Allan Poe stories about, <laughs> yes. Yes. about yeah about about decadence and God and man. Uh, you know, like, still this is, our target market. This is a Roger yes. Corman movie. This is not like this is not released as like high sophisticated art or anything it just yeah. is in retrospect but oh. it's like when when you watch like um even in like the 80s i me and my friends watched this movie called ski school which is like oh i love that one movie. of the stupidest <laughs> yeah one of the school. stupidest <laughs> movies of all time 
<laughs> I but think I've seen clips of it's this. it's literally like so stupid and so like by the numbers 80s like you know it's unclear whether the kids go to the ski school or are instructors <laughs> at the ski school it's like that's how unclear the plot and like what's going on is but like it's photographed so beautifully and like oh, so yeah. so many incredible like outdoor shots of like skiing and like indoor shots of these like parties that are like lit perfectly and it's like even like a stupid movie like ski school is more be- like so beautiful <laughs> why is it yeah. shot so beautifully yeah it's, it's because like you need to bring back the mindset it's the mind that's why you guys are doing the powerful work here and so I'm, I'm looking it up it turns out nicholas rogue was also the director of photography on ski school <laughs> <laughs> That would be incredible. <laughs> uh, I just want to talk uh, uh, about the very last scene of this movie, where it's oh, the yeah. the girl, the little girl that Prince Prospero spared after killing a, a crossbowing all of the, the the wretched peasants uh, that brought her to the castle gates, and then she is back to the same uh, movie set, dead tree on the kind of moors, and back to the red figure. But the red figure is joined. He's got a whole squad of color guys. The Death Cinematic yeah. Universe. Yes, <laughs> and it's just the DCU. like it's like seven or eight figures all in different colors, and they're all yeah. just sort of joining up after they've they're, they're they're knocking off like work's done, and then like the the figure in black says to the figure in red, "I've visited a hundred thousand since we last talked." And it's just like I don't know, like yeah. I do, like I think they all represent like death, decay, disease, like sort of like the four horsemen. But then there's like guys in yellow and green, and I'm like, what do they represent? Like nausea, upset tummy, diarrhea, like all all the things tums, all the things tums can cure. Well, my my friend, um, my friend Brad, um, was jokingly saying like it's really funny that at the end the Red Death does all this shit. And then the other deaths show up and just upstage him, flex on him by being like, oh, I killed like 100,000 people. How many people right, did you right. kill? And then like the yellow death even is like, I, I just killed 10,000 10, people last night. And um, the red death is like, oh, I he spared. did about 20, 30. <laughs> yeah, he's like, I did like 20 or 30, but I spared a, a, a peasant, a girl, a dwarf. Um, <laughs> I don't know dwarves. if it was her brother or boyfriend. It's kind of confusing. Oh, I yeah, yeah, yeah. it's kind of weird. <laughs> But um, I, I, my, I don't think that um, I think like for those other deaths, it's all about the numbers. You know, we got to get the numbers up. But the red death is is much like Vincent Price himself or Prospero's character. And this is why they're a perfect match is that he's a showman. He's he's in it for the drama. You know, he's yeah. in it. For the dramatics and the, uh, the, and the story. Color. Yes. Rather than just raw numbers. You know, <laughs> yeah. he's just like. It's about oh, the exquisite. Guys, how like, exquisite are these deaths? I, yes, I, exactly. I, I, I mean, I killed like yeah. thirty or fifty people, but I did it in an interpretive dance number. So, yes, yes. so that's better beautiful. than like yes. the rock slide that you just killed like <laughs> yeah. a few hundred with that. That's such, I think that's because yeah. of um, the specific uh, place that the Black Death says that he comes from. I think he might represent. I think they all represent different diseases and all uh, like, like like different yeah. types. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I think like that's kind of the. But yeah, I do love that the Red Death is like has a flair for the dramatic. And yeah, yeah. He's in like a perfect boutique. way. He's yes. a boutique. Uh, He's play. the art. The art house death. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, Hessa, to your point, uh, when we first started talking about this movie about the kind of like anti-Christian ethics of this movie, or the kind of. But I, I like it because it is essentially taking the piss out of Satanism, and that like. 
we all just create morality. Like we are like, there is no good or evil. It is kind of just a matter of perspective, but like the only thing that's really real is just death and disease and pestilence. <laughs> like that's, yeah. that's things you can count on. Everything else yeah. are stories that we create to help deal with the existence of like the color squad that's coming for all of us. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Exactly. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. It's all just a sentimentalization. Even the evil, the malice, like the all of that perversion is all just corny. It's corny. Yeah. Yeah. It's corny. Phase of and, death. And like it's I love the last shot is so beautiful of like the 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 procession. All different colored deaths. Yeah, in like a line. It looks like a durer like woodcut. It truly yeah. it's like so beautiful. Yeah, so that is Edgar Allan Poe's The Mask of the Red Death and Richard Matheson's I Am Legend slash The Last Man on Earth and Vincent Price. I mean, yes. Because, uh, you know, like, we, we got we to do some of, like, the, like the, the, the older movies. You know, like, this is like an earlier, this is like a pre-Night of the Living Dead, pre-Texas Chainsaw Massacre horror. So, yeah, like you said, yeah. like, uh, Last Man on Earth is, is kind of gritty and low budget, but it still has, it's Vincent Price, so it has that theatrical quality to it. Whereas The Mask of the Red Death is like really creepy and disturbing and has all of these like in- intensely debauched themes of like sexuality and decadence. But it is of like a, a different era of horror where horror was more, yeah, like theatrical and less, you know, like, like, in, like in the gutter, like Night of the Living Dead and Texas Chainsaw Massacre is. Like this is, you know, this has this is death and evil, but with like splendor and uh, decadence rather than just yes. madness and and yeah, like madness and uh, desolation. And um, for further reading of Vincent Price, I would recommend um, the original House of Wax, which is amazing. Another colorful, fun time. And also The House on Haunted Hill, which oh, yeah. is so good and is actually kind of scary. And the same with The Pit and the Pendulum, which is another um, Roger Corman one. And it has, like, one of the scariest shots of, like, 60s cinema in it. And it's, like, so, like, fucking, like, twisted and scary. And, like, I really love that one. Um, and, yeah, there's also, like, all of the price corman collabs are really fun they're like, all cool. fire i would recommend tomb of lygia which is yes. another one but it's like it's 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 a horror movie but it's also it has a real sense of like mourn, mournful tragedy and romance to it that's very good and then i would also re- highly redouble my recommendation for the pit and the pendulum we talked about the scene in last man on earth where uh vincent price laugh cries in the pit and the pendulum has maybe my favorite moment of Vincent Price in acting, which is probably a five to ten minute sequence of him waltzing around his dungeon, just going Elizabeth, Elizabeth, Elizabeth. <laughs> yes. The entire movie of the pit and the pendulum is literally an hour and forty minute um, transition of Vincent Price from crying to laughing to manic <laughs> to maniacally laughing. Is truly like. That happens, like, very slowly over the entire course of the movie until, like, he's completely deranged at the end, and it's, like, so amazing. And also, The the Pit and the Pendulum, the the Poe B story that you get in that movie is the cask of Amontillado, which is my favorite Poe story. Oh, no, that's... That's that's, in The Pit and the um, Pendulum. Oh, it's also... They also do a straight adaptation of the cast of Amontillado in um, Tales of Terror, where Peter Lorre plays the guy who walls Poe up in the... um, <laughs> yes, he where Peter Laurie plays the drunk who walls up Vincent Price. And it's like so good because like when I was first watching it, it's like a collection of like three short shorts, like short film adaptations of like Poe stories. 
and I had no idea it was the cast of Montiato until like, um, until he was literally like, I have a new wine in my basement. <laughs> and it's like, truly the two craziest, like gay, weird voices in <laughs> yes, competition wow. with each other <laughs> yeah. of like Peter Laurie versus Vincent Price. It's like, I have a new drink in my basement. <laughs> oh, really? Why don't you show it to me? <laughs> so crazy. <laughs> the interaction. And yeah, it's so good. It's so amazing. Um, yeah, Tales of Terror is amazing. Um, all of them are amazing. Um, yeah, they're all really good. House of Usher is amazing, too. Um, I think Mike Flanagan is remaking it right now. Which boo. Is, boo. Uh, yeah, boo. <laughs> Mike Flanagan, stop making <laughs> movies. I'm going to kill you. <laughs> parody. Oh, a parody. Parody. <laughs> Do oh. Stephen King rip off about that island full of people and vampires was boring. Fuck you. <laughs> All right. Um, so, that, yeah, that does it for uh, this episode of uh, Goolvy Scream Set. Uh, I hope that was a. Theta, oh. thank you for coming on. <laughs> thank you so much for having me on and for exposing me to Vincent Price and these two great movies. And I'm so excited to, uh, for the rest to listen to the rest of the series. And uh, everyone, yeah. check out Nympho Wars. Yes. Oh, yeah, my NFW and InfoWars every Wednesday. Long Haul Trucker Radio for the Flyover Country. Truly my favorite podcast. I'm sorry to other podcasts in the world, but it's, it's look. so funny. Until <laughs> next time, everybody, <laughs> we'll scream you later. Ah! <laughs>